Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. It's OBB Politics Now for Friday, June 16th, and friends, we have a deal. After a little more than six weeks, Republicans ended their walkout in the state Senate yesterday, June 15th. That gave the legislature just 10 days to pass hundreds of bills that have been stuck during the longest legislative walkout in state history. Today, we're going to go over what the GOP got and didn't get as part of its deal to return, and we'll prognosticate a little bit on what comes next. Welcome to the podcast. I'm OPB politics reporter Dirk Vanderhart. I'm OPB politics reporter Lauren Dake. Lauren, as you know, for the last six weeks, we've sort of watched the state capitol, I would say, wither. I don't know. Typically, late in session, we see the halls packed with lobbyists and advocates who are either fighting for their bills or fighting against someone else's bills. But with the walkout blocking passage of any bills in the Senate, all of that had sort of ceased. I, I described the hallways as tomb-like on Twitter. I think that was not far off. There was just not a lot of energy in the building as things seemed to be fizzling toward an end. But that changed yesterday. What happened? Yeah, that's right. Dirk, look, here we are once again on this podcast talking about the walkout. But now we are finally able to say it's over. Republicans came back to the Senate after six weeks of only two Republicans attending floor sessions. Five senators came back to the floor yesterday, and our listeners already know this, but just in case, in order to do business like passing bills in the Senate, Democrats need three Republican senators to reach a quorum, which is why boycotting the session is so effective, because without 20 members on the floor, they cannot pass bills. So for the first time since early May, Senate President Rob Wagner was able to utter these words. A quorum is present. Yeah, so that was a big deal. There was a little bit of applause in the Senate chamber after he said that. And just to paint a picture of what yesterday was like, there have been rumors floating around for about five days now that, you know, there's a deal. There's no deal. They're coming back. They're not coming back. An announcement is forthcoming. No announcement came. But then yesterday, early in the morning, Wagner came out of caucus and gave two thumbs up. And for the first time, we saw some Republican senators head into the Capitol early in the morning. And we hadn't seen that for weeks. So it did start to seem pretty apparent that the Republicans were going to provide a quorum. I could not be more glad that this insane game of telephone around the walkout is over. I mean, the sheer amount of texts I got on Wednesday, there was supposedly a press conference happening at 4 p.m. And then it was at 7 p.m. And then it was at 9. No one knew where these were coming from. No one knew who was supposedly having a press conference. It was sheer, sheer insanity. Now we have a deal. My phone is a lot less uh, text heavy and I'm very, very pleased. Um, this is not going to be surprising to anyone, I'd imagine, but right after the Senate resumed business yesterday, both parties sent out statements basically claiming that they'd achieved what they wanted in this walkout. They both sort of won, according to them. I think if you talk to members of both parties privately, though, some would be bitterly disappointed with the outcome of all this. Here's how Senate Minority Leader Tim Knope put it. The Democrat majority uh, yielded a lot. And um, that really is what helped make this go. 
and uh, I know that was very painful for them and essentially what happened is everybody got some of what they wanted and everybody got some of what they didn't want. Knoop, by the way, he's the Bend Republican who was really a, a very vocal leader of this walkout and, and sort of helped shepherd his folks out for the six weeks. So let's go over some of the specifics of this deal. You know, when Republicans walked out on May 3rd, they were making a couple basic points. The first was that they felt Democrats have been using their majorities to sort of shove an extreme agenda down Oregon's throat. The second was they believed Democrats were violating state law in terms of how bills are have been moving forward this session. So what did Republicans get that assured them their concerns on these things have been addressed? Well, you're right. Republicans, they wanted a lot in these negotiations, but there are really, there are really two controversial bills. And the first one deals with expanding access to abortion and gender affirming care. And on that bill, Democrats finally agreed with Republicans' request to keep in place a legal requirement that parental permission is required for children under the age of 15 to have an abortion. But there is an exception built into that. So if two healthcare providers in two separate medical practices decide that telling a parent that their minor wanted to or needed to get an abortion would harm the child, that parental notification piece could be overridden. Republicans really did not want parental rights taken away, so that's a key win for them. Democrats also agreed to get rid of a part of the bill that would have expanded abortion access on university campuses and in rural parts of the states, two other wins for Republicans. Then there was a gun bill. Democrats agreed to strip out a part of this gun bill that had several different uh, components built into it. They stripped out uh, a component that would have increased the required age to purchase and own a gun from 18 to 21, and another part that would have allowed cities to ban concealed weapons in public buildings. So now that gun measure just focuses on ghost guns, those guns that are untraceable, and the agreed-upon bill would outlaw those ghost guns. We should also mention Republicans really wanted something that was more on the procedural level. They were pushing to get bill summaries written at an eighth grade reading level, which is what the state law calls for. And remember, that was the first thing that they said they were walking out over because they said these bill summaries were not written in simple language and they were violating the law. Initially, Democrats were like, no, we're just going to continue on with the way that we have been doing things for the past decade or more. But eventually, Democrats also made those procedural changes that Republicans wanted. Yeah, right now we are seeing actually, I think the Senate passed 38 bills today. And before everyone was taken up, the carrier of the bill, the, the person sort of introducing it, would read a stripped down summary in an eighth grade uh, uh, reading level that actually I will say on some of these things, that's kind of helpful to to hear it stated so plainly. Um, Another part of this deal we need to mention is that Democrats are also killing uh, what's known as Senate Joint Resolution 33. That was this proposal that Democrats introduced kind of a ways into the session, caught a lot of Republicans off guard. It would have asked voters to add specific protections for same-sex marriage, gender-affirming care, and abortion in the state constitution. Uh, That is now going away too, even though Republicans actually said they could have supported part of this bill, just not all of it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting and worth mentioning that Republicans 
did say they would have supported a resolution to enshrine the ability to have marriage equality protected in the state constitution. And, you know, just on a personal note, I grew up in a small town in Oregon in the 1990s when the Oregon Citizen Alliance was around and they were pushing Measure 9, which was trying to amend the state constitution to declare that same-sex relationships were abnormal and wrong. And 44% of Oregonians voted for that, a lot of them in rural Republican-centric areas. So it's noteworthy that Republicans in the Oregon legislature were willing to support a resolution to enshrine marriage equality in the state constitution this session. The Democrats did not go for that, and they instead opted to kill the entire resolution. And part of that is wrapped up in the fact that they wanted all three of these. They wanted the same-sex marriage, the abortion after the Dobbs decision by the the Supreme Court, and gender-affirming care, which is obviously a national battleground right now. And I think that they want to wrap those as a package because some of the polling we have seen about Oregonians' um, opinions about gender-affirming care suggests that maybe that would be a little more vulnerable if it was there on its own. Um, so, so those are some of the big things Republicans got. I want to note that beyond watering down House Bill 2005, which is that gun control bill uh, you mentioned, Lauren, Democrats also agreed to kill a number of other gun bills that were being proposed. So, you know, there was a lot of movement on that issue. I think gun safety proponents are not pleased by that. We also know that abortion rights proponents fought pretty hard against any changes to House Bill 2002, the abortion bill. Um, But Republicans definitely did not get everything they wanted. In, In fact, as I say, we've heard that some GOP lawmakers today think they didn't get enough. Well, I think the big thing that Republicans didn't get is, you know, they didn't get their absences excused from this walkout. So that means that 10 conservative lawmakers could be blocked from running for re-election under this new ballot measure approved by voters last year. Overturning those absences was always going to be incredibly tough, nearly impossible, because the unions pushed this measure, Measure 113, to stop the walkouts. And if Wagner decided to excuse those Republican absences, honestly, he, he would have been political toast. It always really seemed unlikely that he would do that. And here's how he put it in his own words. I believe that the framework that we have today is going to move Oregon forward. And there are obviously a whole bunch of legislators that aren't going to be able to come back to this building. So Wagner's pretty clear there that, you know, he thinks that these Republicans and one independent lawmaker basically ended their political careers over this walkout. You know, Republicans also had a lot of other bills that they wanted killed and floated those to the Democrats. But Democrats did hold true to their word that they were not going to deal with a kill list like they had in some previous walkouts. At least not a a widespread kill list. And and that's something I want to touch on, you know. Wagner yesterday presented this face of cheeriness about the deal. Um, We should note that in a very real way, Democrats capitulated here in ways I think they probably would have seen as unthinkable when the session began. Remember that for the majority of this walkout, Wagner, um, Senate Majority Leader Kate Lieber, other top Democrats insisted repeatedly that they would not be bargaining on the abortion bill to get Republicans back. And let's just listen to a couple of examples of that. Here is Senate President Rob Wagner on May 9th. Let me be clear. House Bill 2002 is not up for negotiation. 
Democrats ran on ensuring abortion rights for all Oregonians, and voters gave us the majority in both chambers. We have a clear mandate to pass this bill, and Oregonians are demanding us to consider it. And here is Senate President Rob Wagner nine days later on May 18th. Our members in our entire caucus is clear. The idea of a kill list doesn't exist anymore. And yet, despite these very strong statements, Senate Democrats negotiated away pieces of 2002 and they agreed to kill some bills. So, Lauren, what happened? I think it just became really clear Republicans were not going to come back unless the Democrats agreed to work with them on some of these bills. And if they didn't come back, there was a real threat of not only these two bills dying, but hundreds of other bills dying as well. So the political calculation became, should we make these changes to save the session or let these bills and this walkout derail the whole process? We also heard that the governor got involved once again at the end, and she really pushed Democratic leaders to strike a deal. And then, you know, here's the other thing I'll say about politics. A lot of it is messaging, right? So Democrats are still very much framing this as framing these concessions as victory because they did pass some gun control bills and they did pass protections for abortion and gender affirming care, just not as much as they had initially hoped. Mm -hmm. You know, and we would be remiss probably just not to touch on like some of the changing faces that were part of this. You know, the governor was involved, that fizzled. Last week, we heard that Senator Kathleen Taylor, who has a good relationship with Knope, the Republican leader, had gotten involved. Maybe her being in talks helped. Senator Lynn Finley, a Vail Republican, uh, was in talks with leadership. Just a lot of folks kind of adding their opinion at the end. Part of these really, really, uh, I think, intensive negotiations that began Friday and, and happened right up until the deal was struck. The other major piece of this, obviously, is that Democrats never thought Republicans would be willing to abandon their political careers for a walkout. And right now we have 10 conservative senators, a full third of the Senate who are expected to be blocked from running for re-election because of Measure 113. Some of those folks were going to retire. We know that. Some of those folks were sick of serving in the minority. It's still a very striking thing, though. Um, and it's possible it could even help Democrats flip a seat or two with these incumbents out, though I think that's far from certain. But here's what Knope had to say about that potentially very high price for this walkout. Our members, I think, uh, were willing to make the sacrifice uh, as we went into this. Uh, I think we knew what the potential consequence was. We were obviously going to have legal action to follow. So he's talking about legal action there. What do we know about the next steps on M113? Well, I mean, they have made it clear from the beginning, the Republicans, that they're going to fight Measure 113 in court. They think that the measure could violate the First Amendment. No matter what their legal argument ends up being, it's really clear that this measure was not written particularly well. I mean, there's a lot of ambiguity about what it can actually do, and Republicans have made it clear they're going to try and capitalize on that. Uh, they started a political action fund that they hope they initially hoped would help defray some of the legal costs for their fight, but they learned pretty early on that they can't use that money to pay for their legal defense. So how they pay for this fight is unclear, but they are planning on challenging the measure nonetheless. Yeah, and as you noted, beyond that legal challenge, we just don't have clarity 
on how exactly the measure works, um, there is a reading of this law that, you know, even if lawmakers are eventually blocked from running for re-election, they still may be able to seek one more term just because of the wording of the law again. So I think we are waiting for some some clarity, as I say, about exactly what it would do. That might have to be litigated. And, and anyway, I think those are questions for another day. Right now, I think the major question is what happens, you know, with nine days left for the rest of the session? I think they're going to be really busy. <laughs> this walkout has stretched on so long that there have just been hundreds of bills piling up, bills that really address a wide range of issues, bills to tackle the public defender crisis that's happening in the state. Um, there are so many budget bills, bills that set the rate for how much uh, the state pays behavioral health providers. There's bills to address climate change. There's a bill to establish minimum staffing ratios for hospitals. They've already started passing bills, like you noted earlier, including House Bill 2005 and 2002, the two controversial walkout bills. Those passed last night with very little discussion and quite swiftly, and they'll now head back to the House to be amended. Things have been going smoothly for the last two days. You know, what I'm wondering is whether things are going to continue to go smoothly. And I don't want to be overly pessimistic here. But one thing I, I was pretty surprised by when this deal emerged yesterday is that there was not a firm agreement on bill reading. People probably remember that before the walkout, Republicans had been requiring Democrats to read almost every bill in full before a vote. So I expected part of this deal would be a commitment that Republicans wouldn't do that for the rest of the session. But that is not what happened. Um, Republicans right now are just waiving readings on a day-to-day -day basis, which leaves a very real possibility that if tensions rise again, uh, Republicans could slow down the legislature with very little time remaining. And the other thing, and here I'm going to get very pessimistic, I will just warn you, Lauren, is that House Republicans are keenly aware that they still have options if there is something they really object to left in the session. There are fewer than 10 days left, and that means that if House Republicans did feel strongly enough about a bill or bills to walk away, they could do that and not run afoul of Measure 113. I don't have any indication that will happen. I haven't talked to anyone that has any indication that will happen. I can say I have talked to a couple people today who noted it as a potential dynamic and that Republicans are very aware that it's a potential dynamic. I, I will say I think it's more likely session ends in a flurry of bills and a decent amount of grumbling. Let's hope that's the case. Lauren, thanks for talking it over with me today. You're welcome, Dirk. This episode of OPB Politics Now was produced by Andrew Thien. Our audio engineer is Stephen Cray, and our music comes from Audio Network. We'll be back next week with more political news from across the Pacific Northwest. Until then, you can find all of OPB's reporting at opb.org. While you're there, why not click the red Contribute Now button and become an OPB member? You can also rate and review us in your podcast app of choice. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening.
If you tune into OPB Politics Now because you love learning about what's happening in our region, you'll love listening to The Evergreen. This weekly podcast paints an audio portrait of the Pacific Northwest through the stories of the people who live here. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts.